There we go. All right. Hi, Paula. Can you hear us okay? Okay, good. Um, yeah, so with that, we have everyone here, so if you want to Yes, definitely. And start the meeting. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, as far as on new people, I didn't know if we wanted to introduce ourselves for today, but that uh, would just go ahead. My name is John Matthews. I've been on this advisory board for, I think, two years at least. Uh, I was appointed by, it would be Mayor Brad Finkel at the time. I've been in Lawrence for 22 years, and I work at the University of Kansas for the last nine years. And we got the great Gene Dorsey over here as well. Um, yeah, I'm Gene Dorsey. I've been on this committee about a minute and a half. <laughs> I was appointed by Lisa Larson uh, recently, and I'm retired. I moved back to uh, to Lawrence in uh, 2005, so that makes 18 years. I'm Paula Schumacher, also appointed by Lisa Larson. I think if you've been on here for a minute and a half, maybe I've been here for half a minute. <laughs> I work for a software uh, development company based out of New Jersey, so I work from home. And uh, I've been in Lawrence, my gosh, for over 30 years, I think. So. And Kate, if you want to go. Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome, Paula. Welcome, Jean. My name is Kate Lorenz, and I came on at the same time as John, I believe, uh, a couple years ago, and I um, I was appointed by the Sustainability Advisory Board. I work at KU. I'm the Director of Events and Audience Services at the LEAD Center, um, and I've lived in Lawrence most of my life, uh, and happy to be here with you all. And Shannon Kimball. Good afternoon, I'm Shannon Kimball. Um, this is my third turn on the Public Incentive Review Committee. I, for this time around, I've been uh, back since, I think, uh, probably mid-July or early August. Um, I am the past president of the USD 497 Board of Education, and so I'm on the committee in the role of representing USD 497. And uh, it's nice to see you all and get to know you a little better. Thanks. Thank you very much. Uh, first item on the agenda is to approve the minutes for August 9th, 2023. Can I get a first on that? I so move. Thank you so much. And a second? This is Shannon, I second. Thank you very much. And we'll just go down the line. Uh, as far as approving the minutes, Gene Dorsey? Aye. Uh, let's see, Commissioner Kelly's out. Uh, Shannon Kimball? Yes. Thank you. Kate Lawrence? Aye. And I'm an aye as well. And Paula? Aye. And the ayes passed five to zero. Uh, the next session is work session B. This work session provides an opportunity for the Public Incentives Review Committee to discuss items in greater detail. The committee will take no binding action on items presented during this time. Work session topics are eligible for live public comment. Members of the public wishing to speak on a work session item will be limited to three minutes for comments. And I'll hand over to Sam. Yeah, um, so I know originally uh, we had mentioned that this, you know, we didn't have anything prepared for you all today, um, but then Shannon had brought up, it might be a good, uh, a good point or a good discussion to have to, re to review the NRA uh, 
kind of incentive. Um, I know if, if you were watching any of the, the meetings for this last NRA for 700 New Hampshire, the old Borders bookstore, um, there's a lot of discussion about procedure rather than the project itself. So um, staff, you know, for, for any of the, the other governing bodies that kind of uh, review these projects, um, this might be helpful for them to, to review and watch at, at their own, uh, on their own time as well. So I'll go ahead and start. Um, share. All right, and then can everyone see the PowerPoint presentation? Okay. Oh, there we go. All right, so to go ahead and get started, uh, let's get this out of the way as well. Um, so we refer to it as the NRA as shorthand, um, but as a reminder, um, it stands for the Neighborhood Revitalization Area Incentive. Um, so just an overview of what we're going to be discussing today. Um, what is tax increment financing? Um, this is not, in Kansas, they refer to the TIF incentive as just its acronym, tax increment financing. This is the procedure. We're talking about the general procedure, not the specific incentive. Um, it's, it's a little confusing, so we're going to go over that in a second. Um, how is an NRA formed? Um, both from a statute, from a state statute perspective, as well as the local level, and then what impact does it have on operations and funding? Um, and as we're going through, I know I got a, a, a few questions from some of you beforehand that we can go after, um, we can go over after the presentation. Um, but please feel uh, feel free to stop me at any point um, if you have any questions, and I'd be happy to go over that. So what is tax increment financing with an NRA? Um, so it is a method of capturing incremental property value uh, and tax increase to offset the payment of large upfront costs for development. Um, so usually what happens is a developer will either through private equity or private loans through a bank um, will pay for everything upfront and then to support that that debt servicing on the back end, um, they uh, work with the city for with, with these NRA incentives to kind of offset some of those large upfront costs. Um, per the state policy, there are no specific caps or limitations on refund amounts or categories. Um, so I so for example, the rebate payments continue. Um, until the established term ends. Um, this is different than, than some of the other tax increment uh, incentives in the state, uh, most particularly, particularly the TIF incentive. Um, there is no, typically a lot of those other incentive ha incentives have caps for very specific uses. Um, the NRA does not. Um, so it's, it's merely kind of a catch-all any incremental tax value that adheres to the percentage that's agreed upon by all three governing bodies is made available and rebated to the developer or the applicant. Um, per state and city policy, there are no restrictions on limitations or NRA rebate percentages or terms. Um, so the state policy um, kind of gives a blanket, you know, these, these NRAs can last for however long the city or local government feels they need to last. Um, and um, the incentive, the, the rebate 
for this incremental value can reach up to even 100%. In, in Lawrence, we've never seen that. We've never had an applicant submit um, something for 100% rebate or for anything longer than 15 years. Um, but just as an example, in other communities, um, namely Topeka or Baldwin City, um, they structure theirs very specifically. They have specific limits. Um, for 50% for 10 years, or 50% for five years, and 95% for the last five years. Um, but in Lawrence, it is a project by project um, decision. Um, so, the, and then the the kind of figure on the side kind of shows you kind of what we're looking at when we're talking about the tax increment and then the valuation. Um, unfortunately, I could not find one that says NRA, so excuse the confusion where it says TIF. Um, but the, the NRA is, um, it's a state-specific program. So if, if somebody in Kansas didn't come up with a, a presentation or a, a figure, um, we wouldn't have anything. Uh, oh, it's on this one. <laughs> I forgot what I'm looking at. Um, so I just wanted to provide kind of a numerical example. I know this will kind of throwing a lot in your face to kind of consider. Um, but I wanted everyone and, and anybody who watches this later down the line, anybody from the governing body or, or anybody from the public to have kind of a very um, distinct underst understanding of what we're talking about when we talk about the increment, the assessed value, and things like that. So um, I'll just very briefly run through this. So for an example, the base appraised value of a property is at 10000 the increment, so after construction is done, the property increases by 10,000 additional dollars. The rebate is 95%, and the total mill levy is 131, um, which I believe is the, the current mill levy for 2023 for all, all three taxing jurisdictions. Um, so uh, looking, let's just go through the residential example. Um, so the base appraised value um, is 10,000. Um, the assessment rate for residential property in Kansas is 11.5%. So that means um, the appraised value is multiplied um, by that 11.5 um, or 0.115 um, for the, the math heads out there. Um, so that changes the assessed value to 1150. Um, multiplied by that uh, tax levy brings it down the tax bill to $151.80. Um, and then we see moving down to the second box, um, the $10,000 in additional appraised value. Um, the new assessed value essentially multiplies. The increment, however, is still only that $10,000 in appraised value. Um, and so what we're seeing here is uh, the total tax bill, um, the property owner as part of the agreement with the local governments and as part of the statute, um, they do have to pay their full tax bill. The rebate is given on the back end. Um, so their, their total tax bill will see that full value. And then that 95% rebate um, is applied to um, essentially because we're, we're basically multiplying it by the same um, or it's, it's doubled in value, the 95% rebate would just be 95% of that 151. Um, and then the amount remaining for the taxing jurisdictions is that 151.80 plus the remainder of the rebate. Um, so I think we tried to, when we've presented on, NRA, on NRAs before, I know we've, we've kind of 
danced around giving you the numbers kind of at the, the end of the result. Um, but I wanted to provide an example for all of you to see exactly how that math is calculated. I got yes. a question. Have you had residential requests? Um, for like building, so so in Lawrence, I, I don't believe we've ever had anything for like a single family home like you might see in Baldwin, because um, that's how Baldwin has structured their NRAs. Oh, okay. um, but uh, we have had, you know, the, the New Hampshire lofts that you guys heard from uh, last month, as well as Penn Street lofts and nine Dell lofts, you know, all, all projects all done by the same developer, but those were all affordable housing. Um, but you call those residential and that, not commercial? No, correct. Yeah, so multi multi-family residential in Lawrence is considered residential. It's not a commercial. Okay. Yeah, the county yeah. appraiser will break it out. If it's a mixed-use project, the county appraiser is going to break out the residential section and assess it at the 11.5% versus the commercial section and assess it at 25%. So it's typic it typically comes in when we are talking about mixed-use development gotcha. projects with kind of both of those uh, components. It has been, uh, like Sam said, we don't really, uh, a, a lot of our neighboring communities will draw a large boundary and, and make it kind of a prescriptive uh, participation where anybody who meets this, this, and this can actually get the NRA. We don't do it that way. We do it project by project. And um, we recently had a request for an NRA to be applied to a residential only, and we said that our policy just doesn't support that. So. This was single family or? No, it was, it was multifamily. Okay, multifamily. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, the, the city's policy tries to focus on commercial development as much as possible, um, but with you know, the very obvious need for things like affordable housing, um, e even in the policy it's noted that affordable housing is a, is a primary use that we'll accept for residential. Uh, I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. So if one. it's like, say, a multi-story building and the bottom is commercial with apartments above, how is that handled? Is that just a percentage then? No. So, so what will happen is um, when the appraiser, when the appraiser's office goes out and figures out um, you know, the, the use of the property, they will, in the same tax bill that gets sent to the property owner, they'll note, you know, this amount of square footage was commercial, so we're assessing, you know, a certain amount of value is attached to that for the whole property. A certain amount of appraised value, I'll say, and then that right. amount of appraised value is then assessed at the appropriate um, type, so residential versus commercial, and then that becomes their final tax bill. So, um, I guess maybe some few other examples, like Lawrence Beer Company, um, that main building is commercial. You know, it's for the brewery, for the business. They have a few affordable housing. They have a few residences on top. So their primary tax bill comes from commercial with a few residential on top, but something like the New Hampshire Lofts project would be reversed. It would be more resident. It would be, let's just say, 85% residential, 15% commercial. That's just as an example. I don't know what the exact, what the final kind of percentage breakout would be, but. Okay. Okay. Um, this, Sam, this is Shannon. I have a, two clarifying questions. Okay. Um, one on the slide under the on the commercial example, where it says Kansas residential assessment twenty five percent. Is that supposed to be uh, Kansas commercial assessment? Yes, I apologize. Okay. 
Okay, I just wanted to make sure that um, I was reading that right. And then, am, am I correct that I just heard you say that state law allows for NRA use for single family residential, but it's city policy in Lawrence that does not um, allow that to be a use for an NRA? So city policy doesn't encourage it. I'll say to, to Britt's broader point, um, so there are some, um, state statute, and I think we get into it a little later when I, when I talk about how an NRA is formed, there are some broad categories that an NRA is, a, the NRA district or the NRA kind of area is allowed to be established in. Um, that kind of sets kind of the base. Um, city policy currently does not encourage or lean towards single, the building of single family residential for like for NRA eligibility. Um, Baldwin is unique in that their entire city is an NRA. Um, their entire legal boundary is an NRA. And that was mainly because they, as, as far as I know, they've had some long time struggles developing single family residential. So they took it upon themselves to say, this is what we think um, developers need to support that. Um, are those rebates on the back end? Um, I know in Topeka, they have it similar, where not the entire city of Topeka, but um, what they've identified as like a highly stressed area, um, specifically around the downtown, I think is where the, the main core of their, their NRA is. Um, they do not typically have single family home construction. Um, they deal with single family home, like remodeling, or uh, major fixes. Um, we've spoken with the Douglas County Appraiser's Office about how that how that might interact with how either Lawrence has its policy or how what how does their work differ from what they do for Lawrence versus what they do for Baldwin City. Um, I can tell you it is very. The, the process in Baldwin City, where essentially each house that gets built is its own NRA, that it has to go through the same back-end process of calculating these rebates. The, the new value has to be recalculated every year. Um, so like we have eight, they may have 50. Um, so it, it magnifies the work that has to be done for them for, at, the, at the county appraiser's office and, the, and at the county in general, because it's also the treasurer's office who has to distribute the funds to the city and then refund them to the property owner. So um, there's a lot of factors that I think were considered when kind of excluding or discouraging the use of NRAs for single family residences in Lawrence. Um, I can't speak to every historical factor. I think the, the current policy we have was updated in 2019, but as far as I understand, that was, um, that was a very minor, we've, we've had small iterative changes over the years, but nothing so major in the past. 20, 15, 20 years. Yeah, I think the NRA was first used, uh, I want to say uh, 2012. Uh, 1040 Vermont was our first NRA project and the first one that ever went forward. And uh, throughout the entire time, the city has elected not to do what I would call an area-wide NRA. We do it Thank project you. by project. Okay, uh, if there's no more questions, I'll go ahead and move on. That was 
these next parts have a lot of text on them, so I went ahead and, and saved everybody some time. So um, these are the qualifications of, a, of establishing a neighborhood revitalization area per state statute. Um, there are three criteria that the area that you know, where it wants to be established only has to fit one of these. Um, so the presentation's on the agenda, so if you want to read fully through all of these at a later time, you certainly can, but for the sake of the meeting today, um, for criteria one, um, it's, it's mainly focusing on the building or the area as detrimental to the public health, safety, and welfare. Um, criteria two is that the area um, as it exists substantially impairs or arrests the sound growth of a municipality, uh, retards the provision of housing accommodations, or constitutes an economic or social liability, and is, and is detrimental to public health, safety, or welfare in its present condition. Um, and lastly, the third criteria is um, by reason of age, history, or architecture, or significance should be preserved or restored back to productive use. Um, so those are kind of the, these are the first, this is like the first hurdle that an applicant has to, to kind of jump over and provide. Um, we ask that the applicant provide an explanation or a, a definition of how their project, they, they feel their project fits in one of these criteria, and then staff reviews that to, to evaluate whether that statement is actually true, um, mainly because the, uh, the city commission, as part of their action, as part of the ordinance that's passed to establish the NRA, the city commission actually has to agree with the finding um, from the applicant and that what the statement that the applicant submitted and that staff has kind of agreed to or helped modify um, to meet this criteria. Um, so moving on to the city's criteria, um, and this comes straight from the city's economic development policy. Um, if you've ever read through the full technical report um, that we send through for each of these projects, you'll see um, it comes in an Excel spreadsheet, and there's these are kind of on one end, and then staff's recommendation or evaluation is on the other end. Um, so we're looking at projects that promote redevelopment that enhance downtown Lawrence. Um, promotes redevelopment activities for areas, neighborhoods, or properties that are significantly underutilized or vacant. Um, areas that will uh, attract unique retail or mixed-use development um, that will uh, enhance the economic climate of the city, diversify the economic base, and achieve goals or objectives of the larger economic development policy. Um, enhance the vitality of any neighborhood. Um, and enhance the community sustainability uh, by fostering projects and developments that embrace energy efficiency, multimodal transportation, um, or, other, or other elements of sustainable design. Uh, yeah, Paul, I see you have a hand raised. Yes, I was just wondering, looking at this, um, there's, not, there's no criteria then for how a, a property got to be in this state, right? I'm, I'm just thinking of uh, recently, uh, the old Borders, right, bookstore. And I, I think there was a lot of hoopla about like, you know, what, if the property owner had let it get into the state and were they responsible then or whatever. But I don't see anything here. It's just the, the current condition. And so you're not really looking at history or how. And that's, that's like not one of the criteria, right? No, so I mean it's not an official evaluation um, as part of the, the the city criteria per the policy. Um, I don't know that any of the other NRAs that we've 
uh, focused on, you know, or, you know, have established in the past have had a situation like that where a property owner happens to have owned the, the property for such a long period of time um, and then is able to develop it through the, you know, through the different circumstances that they had faced. So, um, but I, no, short answer to your question, it's not something that we evaluate as an official criteria. It's not something that we say, if you've held the property for more than five years, you're ineligible for an NRA. That's not something that we, yeah. Is there another page to city criteria, or is that it? No, so this is the, the official five criteria that, and there are other, in the policy, there are other, in the general policy statement, um, there are kind of things where the city prefers projects or highly recommends projects that meet X, Y, and Z. Um, so things like jobs, wages, um, sustainability, um, affordable housing, and things like that. But these are the, the ones specific to NRAs. And Sam, is do they have to meet all the criteria? Uh, criteria or no? The way that it's written in the policy is we, you know, when we're evaluating it, we look to see that the the property or the project um, at least meets a majority, so three out of the five. Um, because not every project will be in downtown Lawrence, so we, you know, we and there are things like that too, where let's say the project isn't in downtown Lawrence, so that's if they don't get that one, maybe that's not something that we would consider as part of the majority. So um, there's a lot of different, a lot of each project that we get is unique. Um, I don't think that there's, you know, a cookie cutter project um, or type of development we see in Lawrence. Um, so that's something that as staff, um, we evaluate with each project, the, the kind of unique circumstances that, that brought it to where it needed the support. Um, so the administrative steps. Um, so, and this is all kind of written throughout the policy, maybe in some different language, but so for administratively, um, staff, myself or Britt, um, receives the incentive request, um, and then the project is evaluated to determine if it meets that state statutes, the state statutory re uh, requirements, as well as the city criteria. Um, the request is submitted to the city commission for official acceptance and referral to staff uh, for further analysis. Um, that's when Britt and I start conducting the, the cost-benefit analysis as well as hand it off to the National Development Council for their but-for or gap analysis. Um, and then once that's completed, we send it on um, and discuss it with you guys here at PERC. Um, for your recommendation. Um, at this point, uh, once the application has been accepted by the city commission and we know that the project is gonna move forward, um, at least as long as the applicant doesn't suddenly decide they, they don't wanna move forward or the project falls through, um, we provide a preliminary notice to the uh, uh, school district superintendent and the Douglas County Administrator um, so that way they can have it on their radar. Um, as NRAs do require kind of acceptance and participation, um, or at least we have, to, we have to discuss that with them, their participation in the NRA. So we want to let them know kind of what's coming beforehand. Um, so, and then uh, after staff, um, after myself or Britt completes the technical review and that, that cost benefit analysis, as well as the but for analysis from NDC, um, the, that's when we bring it to you guys. I apologize, I was skipping ahead. Um, per the, the city's economic development policy, if the incentive um, as 
uh, as a primary component of it revolves around affordable housing or creation of primary jobs. Um, and what we consider primary jobs is, are things related to what's in the city's strategic plan. Um, so mainly manufacturing, um, high paying creative services, uh, green, green energy or green sustainability jobs or tech jobs. We would consider those as primary jobs. Um, so if, if the main goal of the project is either affordable housing or increasing those primary jobs, um, a but-for analysis is now required. Um, so that if we only conduct that cost-benefit analysis. Um, and then once everything is completed, we, we bring it to PERC. Um, we bring it to you guys. And then, um, oh, sorry, I keep forgetting where I'm at. <laughs> Um, and then we move on to the legislative portion, um, or the, the portion for the governing bodies. Um, so at that point, the Lord City Commission holds a public hearing. Um, this is where they designate the, re the re revitalization area, um, and they adopt on first reading the revitalization plan, uh, as well as determine the city's level of participation. Um, I think what we were getting at to, to kind of get at what we were talking about earlier with Lawrence does things project specific. Um, this is essentially cramming two steps into one. Um, so we are designating the area that the city commission agrees this is, an, this is a neighborhood revitalization area. And then through the NRA plan, we are determining this is the project that is going to be within that area. So for larger communities, like back to the Baldwin City example, their NRA, they've established that as the entire city boundaries of Baldwin. And then each time a house is built that somebody wants to use an NRA on, or anytime there's a development that the city feels qualifies for the rebate, um, the project, everything that we do um, for the rebate assessments and things like that, that happens at each individual project within that boundary. So at the city of Lawrence, we kind of because we're only kind of we're only considering one project or most of the times one parcel at a time, we kind of combine those two steps into one. Um, so after the city commission makes their determination um, and approves that the revitalization area at least approves it on first reading, um, the project report and all that information is brought before the school board um, to evaluate their desired particip participation, uh, the county and the school board. Um, and then as long as the project is still viable with the desired participation of the, of the county and school board, because again, each, each district gets to determine, um, they're not, you know, held by each other to, you know, if the city wants to do 95% and the school board or the county feels that maybe they don't need to participate as much or don't want to participate as much, they can certainly, um, on their own, you know, vote to, let's say, participate at 75%. Um, as long as the project is still viable with those amounts, um, you know, per the applicant going back and determining, well, um, we expect this much of a rebate kind of year over year, starting with the first year, is that going to be enough to cover um, as much of the debt service cost as we thought we were going to be able to to receive both from their own, you know, money from their own project as well as the, the city's rebate. Um, it would still move forward and then moves back to the city commission for adopting on second reading. So the city and county can have different amounts, I mean. Correct, it's, it's happened a few times um, for a few projects. Uh, I don't have 
each exact one off the top of my head, but it, it has happened where it's not the norm though. I think it was it, I think it was 826 Pennsylvania Street that there was a a division. It it doesn't nor normally happen that way, and I can tell you that the county doesn't appreciate all that additional math that they yeah. have to do. Yeah, the, the appraiser's office, when, when they have to do these calculations, having them at different percentages kind of adds to their workload. That's what, that's what it has been explained to us. Makes sense. Um, Paul, I saw you had a hand up. Um, do you have a question? Yeah, I was just wondering if you could go into the math. If, if the county, say, wants to do 30 and the school board 30 in the city, I mean, whatever, if it's different, or mm -hmm. even if they're all the same, does that, uh, what's the impact? I don't quite understand that. I don't have that leap of logic. Yeah, so I, yeah, so um, maybe just to, to kind of a high level example, let's say for instance, um, all the city, county, and, and school board for a project all agreed to participate at 95% and that let the property owner receive like a $500 rebate. And I'm just using low amounts, obviously the, the real amounts would be a lot higher, but um, they would receive a $500 rebate, which would cover um, enough of their their debt service costs to make the project feasible, um, based on you know the money they would they would receive from rents and leases and things like that on the property. Um, now, let's say if the county and the school board say, well, our our tax levies are higher, so maybe we don't need to participate as much, um, and they participate at 50% instead of 95, the rebate would drop, let's say it drops to $250. Um, if the developer looking, you know, looking, going back and looking at their pro forma documents, figuring out the, the development math to, to figure out how much they can cover for the debt service, if that makes the project unviable, if they're not getting enough revenue from the project, um, from the project on its own, as well as the rebate that would be received from the NRA, um, they would either, there are a few things that could happen. Either the developer has to reduce the scope. So let's say they were going to build a four-story building, but they, now they can only afford to build a three-story building with what they know they can receive from the building itself, as well as the support from the local governing bodies. Um, they could, uh, they could just decide it's not worth it altogether. Um, they could say, you know, we don't know how we're going to come up with the extra money. We really want to have a fourth story because we want to have as many affordable housing units as possible, or we want to have as much commercial or office space available because we have a tenant on law. You know, we, they have a tenant on the hook. Let's say for office space, that's really looking for. 4,000 square feet of office space, and if they have to cut a floor off, it cuts it down to 2,000, and then that tenant pulls I, out. I, I, so, I think I understand that side of it. The thing I didn't quite understand was the impact to the county, the city, and the school board. Does this mean that there's revenue or the rebate is basically coming out of their pockets at different percent? Yeah, so... If when the rebate is given, then that's money that the city, the county... It would be more get or yeah. So it would, if the governing bodies reduce the amount of rebate that they are that they're participating with, um, so moving from ninety to sixty percent, then the governing bodies receive more in tax revenue from that incremental value. So it's if they're reducing how much they're giving to the developer, that means that money is going back into the pockets of the city, the county, the school board. 
actually that, that doesn't like math. Okay. That's for sure. <laughs> okay, so that's that's the point that I keep arguing about, Sam. So I, and <laughs> sorry, I the, go back into the pocket of the school board. The, like yes, we I don't get any more money. Uh, whether we say yes or no to these, um, and I, I have a, I have a slide. Except in, except in our capital outlay fund, I guess is the one eight mil fund where it does impact that. But it, as far as our general operating, our LOB fund, um, we we cannot increase or decrease. And I, based on our participation, I would just remind you that the um, the capital outlay is shielded from the rebate anyway. That's right. So you're going right. to get that. Thank you're you. actually going to get a yeah. lot more on the increased value in that capital outlay right. than you would if the project didn't go forward. So that, that Paula, particular. Is, uh, thank you, Britt. Paula, this is the point that um, has been a, a, a huge point of contention around the school district, the school board, and our participation in these is this, this misunderstanding about whether this reduces the funding that the school district receives, and, and it absolutely does not, regardless of what level we participate. But it also doesn't other, increase it. Was the other point being that if the project improves Lawrence as a whole, that property values as a whole go up, then kind of indirectly the school board benefits? Um, it, it might benefit taxpayers at that point because okay. um, as a, as a just to give a simple example, if our LOB is genera generating $50 million, um, that's what the statute says we can generate, um, and, you, and you have property value at one level, you're going to have to set the, the, the mill levy at a certain amount to generate $50 million. If property values overall are higher, mm -hmm. the mill levy that you need to set for the school district to generate $50 million will be lower. So increases, so increases over time and as, as, as a whole, increases in the commercial valuation in our community has the, the overall impact of lowering the tax burden on, on homeowners as it relates to the school district levy. Does that make sense? Yes, but don't make me repeat it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I think actually the next, yes, <laughs> uh, I was going to say, Shannon, the, the very next slide, just for everyone's education, um, I, I put this slide in here. Um, I know Shannon represents the, the school board on this body, but just for everyone else's education in case there are any concerns. Um, so yes, per state statute, the capital outlay levy of the school district um, is exempt from the rebate. Um, so as a result, all tax revenue generated, um, both from the base and the increment value um, through this tax levy are collected. Um, so that doesn't get affected. Um, regardless of how much, and this, the rest of this stuff basically gets back into what Shannon was saying, so I'll, I'll maybe skip some of this stuff. Um, one thing I will note, Shannon, um, and I did have a conversation with uh, Cindy Frick um, over at the school board. From our understanding, the that, that 20, that general fund mill levy, that 20, 20.0, that is not impacted as much or impacted at all, um, to, to get the correct phrasing, um, because that's where you get your, your operating fund from. 
Um, but as far as we understood, the remaining tax levies, so except for the capital outlay, but so for, um, I think there's one for adult education and one or two other in one or two others in there that are, I, I believe, very minor. We're talking like maybe two or three mills. Um, those do get impacted by the NRA. Um, it is only the the general fund that that flat 20 mil levy where where you would see your um, your general operating fund that comes from the state, um, the rest are impacted. Yeah, it's it's a little more complicated than that because the 20 mils actually is the is the portion of the local property taxes that we have to remit back to the state. So um, so that's. Um, that's a little bit confusing. You know, some of those other special funds, for example, like our bond and interest fund, that bond and interest fund, there's a mill levy associated with that. Um, it is calculated to to, you calculate the mill levy to produce a certain amount of money and not the other way around. And and I think a lot of, a lot of the other funds with maybe the exception of the cost of living um, and, and the one, one other one that you mentioned our work that way. So when it comes to the general operating funds that we get from our LOB, um, and that's the I think the real point of contention um, and confusion with our with our school stakeholders is that um, you know they see they see a project like the one that we just approved where the developer is getting a a, a three hundred thousand dollar benefit over the life of the abatement from the abatement that the school district approves, that does not mean that the school district is getting $300,000 less in funding to fund our operations. And so um, I think one of the things that um, I, I would find helpful and might make this more clear would be if the, um, the company that we use to do, that you use to do your evaluation of the project um, and provide those cost, that cost-benefit analysis, um, if they would make some additional changes to the way that they present the numbers as it relates to USD 497. Um, well, and that might help help us talk about this in a way with the community that creates less confusion. Shannon, actually, staff does the cost-benefit analysis. NDC does the but-for analysis. I think she's referring okay. to that. So, I mean, the, the cost-benefit model that we do use is not staff-created. It's not, you know, City of Lawrence proprietary. It's we, we did have an outside company who this is a, is, okay. a, is a general model that they use for a lot of other projects. So um, I know we work with them when there are unique situations, um, such as the New Hampshire Lofts project. That was the model is primarily designed for commercial development. Um, so we had to work with them to adjust the model to account for what is primarily a residential project. Um, I think part of it, um, I, I get what you're saying, um, that ultimately a majority, let's say 300, keeping with that $300,000 number, um, not all of that is lost by the school district, um, or let's say a majority of it, let's say 290,000 is recovered by that, that mill the, the general fund mill levy. Um, I think in the model, we still want to show how much total incentive they're receiving. Um, 
because we also need to be able to work with the developer to, for, to help them figure out how much are they uh, how much are they going to receive from these rebates so that way they can you know do their own development math and you know in their proformas to figure out okay can we can the project that we're talking about continue to work if if that may so um, I know we it does. I, I think the the issue though is that is that it the way that it, the information is presented it shows it as a cost or a loss to the district and um, it's just it's just not so I, I don't know how to I don't know how to better communicate that to the community so that um, we're not having this the this debate at the, at the school board, frankly, every time one of these comes up. Um, no, I understand. It's so, something that... Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Hi, Kate's everyone. Gotta... Sorry, I have a related question, and which is maybe pulling it back one more step to help with that ease of communication. So I think one of the things that is a little bit confusing, um, as I'm understanding it, and definitely in terms of questions as I, that I've gotten from you know community members, is if we're saying that essentially uh, the school district funding is not negatively impacted by this, but it's still going to the school board for discussion and participation, um, is there a way that someone could just sum up why uh, why it's still necessary to go to the school board for that consideration when it won't negatively impact the school board? It almost kind of feels like a gotcha, you know, to people who are trying to understand this because it is going on the agenda and it's going up for discussion. So um, that's that's sort of my point in asking. Well, by state statute, each taxing jurisdiction has to weigh in on whether or not they want to participate and if they want to participate at what level. That's that's the that's the requirement. The reality is it doesn't really matter when it comes to the school district and how to convey that to the school district and, and other members of the community who do, don't understand that even though it's a statutory requirement, the, the financial impact is um, nil and typically again if if you, they get to capture more of the capital outlay it might even be uh, an increase it just seems to me like we're talking a lot about the details of it and not as much about the bigger the bigger picture um in in these discussions in terms of in terms of that the school board Thank you. Um, Sam, my apologies. I have um, a three o'clock appointment and I must leave oh, my house right now um, to make it in time. Um, does that mess with your quorum to conclude the meeting? No, I think we've we've already conducted the business that needs a quorum, um, a work session, okay. as far as I know. You're not, the body's not voting on anything. This is just an opportunity for, for you guys okay. to discuss this information, so. Okay, I let me just say thank you, and I very much appreciate the opportunity to have this discussion, um, so that uh, this can be shared uh, with our different constituencies. Um, mm -hmm. I appreciate that it's the, the video will be available, and thank you for your patience with my with my feedback around the process. I, I really do appreciate the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Shannon. Um, so if there are any other questions on the, the school board stuff, I know with Shannon stepping out, it may not be as impactful. Um, and certainly this is something, the, the school board stuff especially is something that we've had a lot of discussion about um, 
mainly around what, what you had brought up, Kate. Um, I can also say because Lawrence does things on a project-by-project -project basis, um, each governing body, every time there is a project, has to come back and consider their participation. But if um, for projects, for example, like in Baldwin City or Topeka, um, they are setting their entire area at once. So each governing body is only voting once on what is in the area, on, on their participation in the area as a whole. So every time an application is submitted, the city, county, and school board in Topeka or Baldwin City have already decided no matter what comes through, we will always participate at 75%, 50%, 90%. So it's, again, a situation unique to Lawrence because we are considering everything kind of one at a time. So um, just something else to keep in mind. The other thing that I'll just mention as just general knowledge is the NRA is one of the only uh, incentive programs that the school district and the county get to weigh in on. Most of the incentive programs that go forward, they don't have a say in it. But by state statute, they do. So just, just to clarify, they don't have a direct, as a direct level of participation as the NRA for the other incentives, um, there is, um, it, for the TIF specifically, there is a veto period. There's a veto where period where they can just nix the project. But most of the time, the projects don't necessarily have to go to those. If it's using a different tool, they don't have to go to those taxing jurisdictions and have them vote on. The IRBs, so do, IRBs, do they go to the school board or? or no. Like no. no. Or so. When we're referring to, to IR, these sales tax IRBs, um, just because there's, we use IRBs for both sales tax and, a, a, and as property tax abatements at certain points. So just clarification for everybody. No, so sales tax IRBs are only a city initiated city kind of. So I mean, for the school district, the school district doesn't collect, um, doesn't use sales tax as a mechanism for funding. Um, so they wouldn't even consider that um, for the county. Um, I believe they have roughly the same sales tax as the city because it's it's six percent for the state, and then the, the that last nine point three percent is split between the city and the county. So they we have roughly we share roughly the same amount of sales tax on a project. Um, but no, there's no. Um, I don't believe there's a there's not a statutory requirement for the the county to weigh in on on sales tax. On TDDs and CIDs. Nope. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not even on property tax abatements. The NRA is the only one where we specifically go to each of those taxing jurisdictions and they get to voice if they want to participate and then if they do want to participate, at what level and for how long. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know how pertinent this is, but at some point in the future, you may have a project that uh, includes the Perry School District instead of the Lawrence School District, right? Because I think there was some land annexed in the, maybe I hadn't Yes, there's, there's some land in, not North Lawrence as we know it as, yeah. as the label, but Northern Lawrence, yeah, up by the hospital, yeah. north of the hospital, that area. Yes, um, I, there is a small sliver, I believe, of a, of a couple of houses and neighborhoods that are being built. Um, 
I, I believe that's probably the only part. I don't know exactly yeah. how far Perry School District dips into Lawrence. That's the biggest one yeah, that I know. That's the most significant area. But as far as they're building those houses, they haven't asked the city for anything. So we're, we're not. No, I was thinking if a it. commercial more, thing went in. More than likely in the future, we will have to consider a different tech, uh, school district as we, as we grow further out. So yeah, we would, whatever taxing jurisdiction, whatever school taxing jurisdiction yeah. is involved, yeah, we'd have to go to them instead of Lawrence School District. So, and that's, I know that gets confusing sometimes because it's not the full boundary, but, um, okay. So I'll, if there's any more questions, um, if there aren't any more questions, I'll go ahead. I, we're near the end. I think that the next slide is the last one. So, um, so this is something um, that Britt and I haven't, really talked about officially um, in, in a while in front of either PERC or the, the uh, city commission. Um, but just so that we're, we're kind of launching it here um, to make sure everyone is aware. Um, so this is the impact to all taxing jurisdictions. So in 2022, the Lawrence real estate, um, the table on the left breaks out the property type, the percent of total real estate in Lawrence um, the boundary of Lawrence, and then the assessment rate that that's um, that those properties have. So residential makes up over 70% of the total real estate in Lawrence. Again, that 11.5%. Um, commercial only sits at 12%. Um, it has twice the assessment rate. Um, the permanently exempt refers to um, city buildings, county buildings, school district, any, any property in the boundaries of Lawrence that do not have a property tax bill. They may have an, assessed, they may have an appraised value or an assessed value just for um, kind of on, you know, dollar purposes so that we have a total valuation, um, but they do not receive, they are permanently exempt from property taxes. Um, temporarily exempt. Um, this refers to the ED. Pro this is, this refers to the economic development projects. Um, so I I believe, Britt, you had you had asked them about this. This is for any um, economic development tool, correct? So this is this is for any economic development tool that is currently um, um, administering incentives. So it's, so it's an NRA and a tax abatement? It is and, for all of them, yes. Okay. Any, uh, any economic development project that has some kind of incentive tied onto it. It's temporarily exempt because, again, typically by state statute, there is a time limit on most of the tools, the NRA being one exception to that. Uh, but, but with the NRA, we set a limit. So that's, but, um, so I mean, as you can see, the amount of temporarily exempt, um, the projects that we that we bring to you all, are far below the total real estate value, um, which I know is a consideration that that typically gets brought up. Um, that there are a lot of incentives, or there's a lot of money that's involved in these. Um, but just as a, a visualization, this is kind of how much. Um, those represent in the larger scheme. So, um, yeah, Paul, I see if you, hand, you have a hand up. Yeah, of course. I was just wondering on your percentages, like 72%, is that based on like the, the number of houses, number of buildings, or is that on like the value of them? It, it's on the value. I get this from the okay. uh, Douglas County appraiser, and it all is property valuations. Great, thank you. 
Is industrial and commercial the same rate? There's no yes. breakdown. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, they're both 25%. Yeah, so one of the things to keep in mind, um, if we're trying to grow our tax revenues, which for economic development purposes we are, um, adding commercial and industrial space is gonna be the most efficient way to do that because they're assessed at such a higher tax rate. Um, the other thing is they don't have as much uh, cost associated with them, especially for the city. Um, we, uh, we have to be kind of careful. This is when the cost-benefit analysis comes in, and the ratio that is preferred, not, not set, but is for every dollar of public incentives, we want to get a dollar and 25 cents back in benefits. Anything one dollar, one to one is break even. Anything under one, we're losing money on. So the last project, uh, and I, I think this is also something to keep in mind for PERC, we do community benefit projects and we do economic development projects. Um, more than likely community benefit projects, we're not gonna meet that ratio. In fact, we're probably gonna lose money on it. So Sam, what was the ratio for, um, was it? Uh, so for New Hampshire lofts, the, the project that Perk just considered and is now moving forward um, through the city, the county, and the school board, um, the cost benefit ratio to the city, um, was 0.77. So we're actually yes. underwater on that one. The city commission elected to move forward on it because they feel like we, we need affordable housing, but that just shows you the balance between residential being assessed at, at such a, a lower rate and the, the cost to the city to service those kind of uh, projects. So. Um, and as I recall, the county came out much higher than that. Yeah, because they don't have as many costs as the yeah. city. Yeah, so actually that gets to, so um, unless there's any, any final questions, um, that was basically the last slide. Um, I had asked all of you to maybe just send me some questions beforehand, um, just so that uh, we could kind of maybe get to the discussion a little quicker. So maybe we'll go ahead and start with Jean's question since um, Britt kind of brought it up. Um, so Jean had asked about the cost-benefit ratio, um, particularly kind of how that's determined and what, what that 1.25 number is. So um, very briefly, I'm gonna skip over to the summary report on our cost-benefit model. Um, to kind of show you all how these numbers are, ca are calculated. Um, oh, here we go. Nope, that's not it, that's a folder. Here we go. So I'll go ahead and zoom in. <laughs> um, so what we're looking at, this is the, the, the project for New Hampshire lofts that we had all um, that we brought to you back in August. Um, so when we're looking at this cost-benefit ratio, um, this first line basically just shows you the, the incentive package that they're receiving. So for that property tax rebate, for the grant, um, that was for the, the affordable housing funds that they received through the Affordable Housing Advisory Board. Um, so scrolling down, um, a lot of these other Things are important, obviously, the incentive per job and the temporary construction costs, how many jobs may be brought in, the average salary of construction work. Um, these are not factored into that cost-benefit analysis. That actually all comes from 
this table down here, the benefits and cost summary. Um, so you'll notice, um, kind of as Britt pointed out earlier, um, these are all, look at the screen, these are all revenues um, coming in for the city, the county, and the school district. Um, so the city owns water utilities, we have franchise fees for a lot of utilities. Um, the estimated building permits and fees, um, that comes from the applicant. Um, the city has a process in which you can kind of estimate based on the project that you'll have, the square footage, the, the building type and all of that, we can we can give you an estimate for building permit fees. Um, Kate, I know you had asked before and the, the commission did as well about this miscellaneous taxes and user fees. Um, that mainly comes from any kind of associated cost um, for the, the residents that might live there. So um, I think it gets even my down to things like parking tickets. It gets very granular in what they calculate as a, as a miscellaneous fee. So um, what we're moving down here um, to, so this subtotal benefits line, that is everything above. So when we're moving down to cost of providing services um, and providing utility services, um, the city, the cost of the city, um, both for just general government services and utility services, is um, extremely high. Um, these are determined for um, mainly infrastructure, police, fire, fire, medical. Um, this and as a reminder, this is cost over. Um, over the analysis period, so over that 15. So this isn't immediately in year one we're losing two, you know, two and a half million dollars. This is two and a half, you know, up to five million, close to five million um, over a 15, 20 year period. Um, so that's something to keep in mind as well because these numbers do get quite large. Um, so that would be the subtotal cost for government services and then added on to that is the subtotal incentives. So even before we're getting to how much the developer is receiving that the, the city, county, or school district may not be receiving, um, this is the this is the added cost. So the sales tax rebate that comes from the uh, the IRB sales tax exemption, um, the property tax exemption that comes from the rebate, and then for the city that ED, the, uh, the affordable housing grants. Um, so you have the net benefits, which is all of the, the various taxes and fees that are collected over the years. Um, the net benefits minus the incentives, so that four million, um, that number doesn't seem right. Hmm. hmm. We'll have to go, apologies, we'll have to go, go back and double check that because when we're looking at net benefits, um, oh, a, Apologies, I, um, so when we're talking about net benefits, it's the subtotal benefits minus the subtotal cost at first. So um, the um, benefits minus cost is about $500,000. So in, when you're working in Excel, um, if, if anyone's familiar, when, you have a, when you're using a certain 
currency type or accounting you know, format, it will have the parentheses instead of a minus sign. So that's, uh, apologies, that's where the confusion came from. <laughs> um, so net benefits, we're already looking at negative $550,000 and then minus the, the approximately $900,000 to the city, we're looking at um, a essentially a, a total loss of about uh, $1.4 million over 15 to 20 years. So when we get back to the cost benefit, um, we're essentially looking at that for every $1 that the city spends, we're only getting back 70 cents because of cost and reimbursements and things. So that's, that's where that number really comes from. Um, Just a when you give us a package, do you go to that level of detail or? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that um, that report is it. It's at the very end. Um, that that visualization, um, that that impact summary is at the very end. Um, but at towards you know, the actual reading part, that before it gets to any of the exhibits or the facts and figures, uh, we summarize those those values to you all. So. And just contextually, I want to remind everybody that the, that most of these projects involve real estate. Real estate is going to have a, a, a substantially longer life than what the incentive period has evaluated. So if we're losing money over that period of time, you got to think that you're probably going to be losing money, or or in in the opposite direction, if you're gaining money, even um, you know when that incentive period stops, that asset is still here and that's still going to be generating uh, those expenses or those revenues. So... Uh, if we were to do this over, say, 25 years, I mean, I mean that, that New Hampshire is going to be there for... You know, it'll probably be there for much longer. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah, so usually we, real so estate has a... the long run, you know, that point, right. losing 71 cents on the dollar could be, you know, over time will be, you know, maybe one to one or whatever. Yeah. So if let's say so the the model that we use that we have from from that we purchased from this um, outside company it has a max of 25 years. So we can only set the limit. Like we can only see how far out the numbers look at 25 years. But if we set it to like 50 years, however long the building may last, it will slowly that, Just that curve and yeah it'll yeah it'll slowly curve back up because 15 years out of 50 years you know we're talking about maybe a third of the life of the building. Um, Obviously, at a certain point, it's going to keep increasing in value, right. um, which will kind of negate any of those upfront costs that the, that the city and the county and the school board incurred. So, But I think if it's a project that is losing money, it's going to continue to lose. It's going to continue to cost the city because the city's still going to have to service that building. Um, but in this example, most of those were the, the economic development uh, funds, you know, as mentioned, like 890000 I mean, that's that was all one time, you know, and everything else is... I mean, you mentioned uh, the place in fire, that will be a constant, but... So the, the a majority, of that, so the 500000 the 550000 that would be a one-time cost because those were funds from the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. Right, those were grant um, funds, yeah. So, yeah, so there was that eight... But essentially, after 15 years, that 300000 would kind of... You know, we we wouldn't be paying that anymore because they wouldn't get a rebate anymore. Right. So yeah, you would put that in the plus column. That's in the the city's benefits. So it kind of works itself out after a certain period of time. <clears throat> um, so as for the the 1.25, I know Britt briefly mentioned it. So in when you're looking at the policy, the 1.25 um, kind of cost benefit as a as a hard requirement mainly comes from, or actually only comes from, the tax abatement policy. 
Um, the city wants to see a 1.25 return on that. Um, in the TIF and CID policy, it mentions a 1.25 ratio. That is mainly for if the city were to issue bonds. As, so if instead if the city were to do the upfront payments and the, the developer pays us on the back end, the city has never issued bonds for a TIF or a CID project and most likely never will. It's a, it's a very different process. So, um, so that ratio is not <clears throat> mandated, it's preferred. And just keep in mind that anything above one is you're going to get a return off of for those taxing jurisdictions and anything under that you'll get a loss. Um, so I know we're, we're a little over time. I normally schedule these meetings or put them on your calendars from, from 3 to 3.30, so I just want to make sure um, everyone's still available to, to continue before we take anyone take anyone else's time. I'm good. Okay. Um, so moving on, um, Kate had asked a question about what happens if the ownership changes or if the, the person sells the property. So um, I think we are just... This year will be the first year that we've had an NRA kind of go to completion. I don't know that we've ever had an NRA get sold prematurely or change ownership prematurely. Um, with our other incentive properties, um, we usually have uh, an assignment and assumption agreement, um, which is basically the developer, the, the assignee, the person purchasing the property, um, assumes all responsibilities for property maintenance, anything that might be in, in a performance agreement. Um, so it's not a situation that we've encountered before. Um, it would be novel for us. It would be new for us to have somebody do that. So um, I can say for other uh, incentives, the incentive transfers over to the new property owner in that case, um, but I couldn't say specifically for the NRA um, since that hasn't been a case before. Sure. Hey, this is Kate. Um, I believe when I asked that at the meeting where we were discussing the first management ones, Britt, I think that you said that when, if it, the building were to be sold, the NRA would no longer be in effect. I think that is the way it's specified in the plan. Do we have that specified? I think it is. Um, that's one of the things that would have to specifically be specified in the plan or an agreement, because I don't believe we typically do that. If you grant it to an LLC and the LLC were sold as a corporate person, wouldn't that benefit go with the LLC, irregardless of who owned it? That's probably a legal it, it question. It could, <laughs> like, um, like the Oread, um, that changed or that was under um, a TIF and a TDD, and that changed ownership recently, and they actually the original ownership kept the incentives as part of the agreement with the new owner. Hmm. Um, and uh, uh, and for an, a different example, we have a building that is being sold out in. Um, Lawrence Venture Park that got incentives and that new owner is, uh, the old owner is doing an assumption agreement, an assignment agreement with them, so they're going to take over that. So it really just depends on, on uh, what's put into agreements. So is that then a, sorry this is Kate again, is that then a change from 
the answer that I got the last time? Is that is that revising the answer to that question, or is it just I'm a little confused now? I feel I'm more confused this now than I was before. Well, I hope I, I'm interpreting the, the question correctly, Kate, but I believe uh, you're talking about specifically um, the Borders Book Store well, project. I asked, I, yes, and I, I asked that because the purpose that was designated for the, the use of the building was going to be for a new um, company headquarters, and the company was quickly yeah. growing, and so I appreciate that yeah, they said I, that. They I would, believe um, Sam and I talked right. about how that is going to have to be incorporated into some kind of an agreement with them. It's not okay. mandated as part of our policy. Okay, I feel that I might go back and watch the meeting because I do feel like that's a different a different um, answer than I got at that point. Well, I hope I'm, I'm uh, interpreting your question correctly. Sam, do you remember, do you recall anything specific on that? I don't believe we have, I think we have to have it spelled out in some kind of an agreement. There's certain, um, uh, maybe in our policy, there's certain economic development tools that may run with the land, so it automatically transfers over. I don't believe this is one of them that does. So if we want there, uh, So I mean, there are, um, in the NRA plan and then in the performance agreement that the city signs with the applicant, um, there are there is language in there that essentially says, if you deviate so far from what's established in the plan, um, it, you know, whether it's ownership or um, use or yeah, use or so let's say for instance, an affordable house, a, a, a project that's marketed as affordable housing. This is not at any particular thing. This is just a theoretical example. If a project was marketed as affordable housing and then it gets built and we start looking at the units and they're being sold at market rate, that would be a breach of the plan. So then at that point we would enter in and figure out, okay, you either bring back into compliance what you said you were going to do or the plan, the agreement that we have together is is negated. So um, it is project specific in that we have to figure out how far, how different maybe the, the scope is from before and after. Um, but I don't think we've ever had a project that 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 isn't what it was marketed as or negotiated or or built you know with the intention of at the beginning so okay yeah. sure and this is Kate again so basically what I'm hearing is that um, that those types of things would be worked out um, at, when the is the performance agreement is signed um, and that that's maybe not um, part of perks decision-making criteria because those are agreements between the um, applicant and the city that are handled in the kind of contracting phase? Yeah, and so, I mean, to maybe use a different example outside of NRAs, um, Britt had mentioned there's a, a facility being sold out in Lawrence Venture Park. That one, um, there were a couple of buildings out there that were built um, from a developer who built um, what's called spec building, spec industrial building, so they essentially build an empty shell that's used to, um, f you know, find a, a client or a, you know a renter or something, eventually for the purpose of selling the building to that renter. Um, the tax abatements run for, um, you know, statutorily run for ten years, and that's typically how they're set up in Lawrence. Um, with that particular developer, we didn't expect for them to hold 
the building for 10 years and not just sell it to the the renter and you know make some money and you know do what they needed to do um so that was incorporated in the agreement this this assignment and assumption um so if we if there was an nra project that came up where the intent was to for the developer to just build something and then sell off pieces of it we would incorporate that assignment and assumption something like that um but to kind of get back to your broader concern of you know what happens if they do something they didn't say they were going to do, where there's, it would be, um, we'd have to review it to see if it deviated so far from the scope of the NRA plan or the performance agreement to determine whether, you know, they are in compliance and what what is the repercussion or how do we get them back and so it's. And, and General but specific. <laughs> Kate, just to make sure that I understand, you're talking about tying the NRA to those specific tenants. Uh, to the yes, to the tenants of the tenants. Um, you know affordable housing or revitalizing certain areas, um, or I mean even that even clarifying whether the NRA is tied to the real estate or to the applicant and the company. Just those types of questions. Well, I know it's not going to be tied to those specific tenants unless it's put in an agreement. And, and Sam and I have talked about that because that's something, this was new, this, we never had that happen before. So if we want to ensure that the NRA is only applicable if those tenants stay there, then there has to be some kind of mechanism to ensure that because it's not within policy. Sure. So then I guess what would then to perk members when we're considering things based on those tenets, I guess I also ask then what consideration do we need to give those tenets then? So someone just needs to say them to in the application process, but they don't actually have to follow through with them in the in the use. I think what you could do as perk is highly recommend to staff that it, uh, if it goes forward now, again, it has to be up to the, the city commission and um, the school district and the, in terms of specifically what they want, but you can make that recommendation. And then it would be up to staff to talk with probably our legal staff how we could do that. Thank you. If we were gonna do that, if they, sure. the, the governing bodies decided to do that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and then just a uh, last question that, that Brad Burnside had sent. Um, unfortunately, he couldn't join us today. Um, he had asked regarding the some of the requirements for jobs or employment. Um, the NRA specifically does not, I and mean, we reviewed the criteria earlier, it does not specifically require any kind of um, job or wage requirements. If in the city's policy there is for property tax abatements, there is a policy that requires certain jobs or wage requirements. Um, but for the NRA, it's, it's designed to be flexible. Um, the city is really looking, when we're evaluating projects, we are looking at one of two things. We're looking at either high property value for commercial or industrial specifically. Um, so essentially generating high tax revenues for the city um, and you know downstream for the county and the school district as well since they received that value um, or high paying 
you know, good high paying jobs, um, quality high paying jobs. Um, sometimes projects are both, sometimes projects are one or the other. Um, so we, we try and leave things as flexible as possible to work with applicants for, new, for, for projects like this. Um, specifically, let's, for example, the affordable housing component. It's gonna be, on its face, it's gonna bring in a lot of value after the NRA is done. Um, during its period, it may not be as much so because it is receiving or is intended to receive a 95% rebate um, and will provide affordable housing, a goal specifically stated in the economic development policy. Um, but the first floor commercial is still being um, negotiated by the property owner, by the, by the developer. Um, so those may not be as high paying or as high quality jobs, we'd certainly like to see that. Um, I think the developer is interested in doing something like that. Um, but the primary component for that one is affordable housing. So that's the, and, and the value of the building. So that's where we're assuming or assessing a lot of that. So um, there's certainly not a requirement, but it is a criteria that we evaluate um, with the project as a whole. Okay. Yep, Paula, you got a question? Yes, I do. I was wondering, um, with these incentives, this one in particular, uh, it's available to everybody, right? Who, uh, developers and whatnot. Would you say that it, it's well known to um, that community that uh, could use it? I mean, I know from, from my side, right, as uh, somebody who doesn't know about all the working, sometimes it sounds as though like, oh, this company is always getting this, right? But it's like any company for any project that they feel they qualify for can try to use these incentives. So would you say that uh, the building community, the construction community avail themselves to these tools? I know Britt and I certainly receive a lot of inquiries from the local development community in Lawrence. Um, I would say uh, for the development community at large or for, let's say, Casey Metro developers who are looking in Lawrence or, Tope or Topeka developers looking here, or even Wichita developers looking in Lawrence, um, typically those who are more experienced, especially if they are local to Kansas, um, and no, because all of these incentives that we, we bring before you guys are Kansas specific. Um, so tax increment financing is kind of used nationwide, but the way in which it's used is Kansas specific. So as long as a developer is kind of aware of the incentives throughout the state as a whole, typically um, that's one of the, as part of their, their pro forma, as part of their, their budgeting and development process, they will inquire with the city hey, I think my project qualifies for this, can we have a discussion, things like that. So um, okay. typically we would, I would say probably more experienced um, developers or those who are Kansas locals um, are aware of these incentives. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, any other questions or? I see no other, I just want to thank you two for doing this. Uh, I will go to public comment 
Uh, C, the board shall also allow public comment on items listed on the agenda. Each person will be limited to three minutes for public comment. Members of the public may provide public comment on multiple agenda items. General public comment on items or issues that are not scheduled on the agenda may be made after all regular business of the board has been conducted. Each person will be limited to three minutes for general public comment. Seeing we have nobody here, and I'm guessing we have nobody online, if that is correct, we will be adjourned. Okay. All right. Thank you, everyone. Um, just as a final update, um, the application that we had anticipated to bring forth to you all in October um, is going to be delayed. It's going to take a little longer. Um, so we have to push it to the November meeting. Um, so I'll send a note out to the the other PERC members as well, um, and we'll get, we'll get that to you and try and keep it on schedule as, as close as we can. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. Glad to see the new members. See you next time. Thank you. Good to see you. Bye. Bye, Paula. Nice to meet you.